Welcome to the all-new Assembly Conversation Series, presented by Business and Arts South Africa's Shamain Subramani. Theme Creativity Now, Cultural Intelligence in the Time of COVID-19, Basa Assembly explores the insights cultural intelligence can offer in terms of rebooting the creative economy in South Africa, on the continent, and globally. This is the second episode of a series of curated conversations flowing from assembly.basa.co.za, a hybrid of live and digital engagements across social, digital, and media platforms. In today's episode, Intellectual Property in a Digital Age, our host Shamain Subramani explores IP as relevant to the creative sector and in light of COVID-19 with guests. Alroy Bell from Dalro, the Dramatic, Artistic and Literary Rights Organization, and online from Cape Town, Unati Malunga from SASFED, the South African Screen Federation. Welcome to the second episode of the Barca Assembly Conversation Series. I am Charmaine Subramani and I'm the Chairman of the Business and Arts South Africa Board. The Barca Assembly Conversations are a series of podcast debates and discussions focusing both on cultural policy and cultural investments. This podcast series stems from the inaugural Boss Assembly, which launched in March 2021 and was partnered by the British Council. For those who missed it or want to continue engaging with the content, the Boss Assembly online platform is still live and can be accessed at assembly.boss.co.za. The Boss Conversation series is focused on the current cultural landscape, and it is intended to encourage both business and the arts sector to collaborate more, effect decisive changes for mutual benefit and growth. These podcasts will be held monthly until October 2021. In today's discussion, we focus on the intellectual property in a digital age. We explore various IP issues ranging from what creative rights are, how to protect these rights and avoid and stop exploitation, how to earn from IP, particularly from a digital perspective in light of the fourth industrial revolution and COVID's pivot to digital platforms. I'm excited to get to the heart of the conversation with my two expert panelists. With us today, we have Unati Malinga, who has worked as an entertainment lawyer and now as a creative industry consultant. Her experience covers the whole gambit of the creative and content industries, film, television, broadcasting, music, visual arts, publishing, theatre, dance, live events and sports. Involved in the Lion King theatrical and also in the movie Blood Diamond. She is the strategy and management lead and lobbyist for the South African Screen Federation, SASFED, and is also a fellow colleague as she serves as non-executive director on the board of Business and Arts South Africa. The other expert today is Alroy Bell, the director of Dalro dramatic, artistic, and literary rights organization. Welcome, Anati and Elroy. Before we get to the core of the discussion, I would love to hear what gets you up on a daily basis and what is the life of, I'm going to start with you, Anati, what is the life of a lobbyist look like? Thank you, Charmaine. Um, thank you for having me. Um, what gets me up in the morning is helping people. I think um, the best way to describe me is I'm a connector. I connect people with knowledge, I connect people with people, and I connect people with ideas. And um, I continue in that role at SASFED, doing, helping people and um, 
you know, forging relationships and helping the, the audiovisual sector at the moment. Thank you for that, Anati. And Alroy, tell me a bit about what gets you excited on a daily basis. Thank you for having me, Charmaine. I mean, very similarly to Nanati, I'm also very um, encouraged by working with people to make sure that we capacity build in within this industry. Um, so a lot of my work within Dalro is making sure that artists are very aware of their rights and making sure that we are more compliant as a copyright industry within South Africa. Dalro specifically is a, is a copyright management agency. So a lot of our work is working around licensing, making sure that the industry is knowledgeable so that people can protect themselves. My background, uh, having been in theater and visual art and, and, and dance for a long time, throughout my career gives me that sort of um, holistic view of the industry so that I can input my copyright knowledge and then advise accordingly. Oh, I'm so excited to have you two here because what I'd love for us to have this podcast as a resource for our listeners because, I mean, you are a wealth of knowledge and we need to protect and ensure that the industry grows in ways that it needs to. Anati, just as a start, I'd love for you to just walk us through what is intellectual property rights. Thank you. So intellectual property at their foundation, the assumption that it can, to incentivize creatives to create, um, to contribute to society's welfare. So the laws give a creator protection for a limited duration of time, and people never understand this about intellectual property. But after that duration of time, your work the fruits of your mind are then to go into the public domain for the benefit of society as a whole. There are four different areas of intellectual property. Um, There is copyright, there is trademarks, there um, is design, and there is patents. And I can take you through, if you'd like some detail, on what each um, encompasses. Uh, Yeah, just walk us through it very briefly, Unati. We'd love that. All right. Um, American lawyer, Lawrence Lesser, likes to explain it this way, and I think it's a useful example to get people to understand what, how different intellectual property works. He says, when property law gives me the exclusive right to use my house, if you also used my house while I did, I would have less to use. When the law gives me an exclusive right to my apple, that too makes sense. If you eat my apple then I cannot eat my apple. Your use of my property ordinarily interferes with my use of my property. But here, things are different with intellectual property. If I take, if you take my idea, I still have the idea. If I tell you an idea, you actually have not deprived me of it. If I write a song, you can sing it without also making it impossible for me to sing it. Your consumption doesn't lessen mine. So I think that's a useful illustration. And then if we start with trademarks, I mean, trademarks are, you know, it's a mark used in relation to goods or services. And it may be a word or a device or a logo. If you think of companies like Coca-Cola, Walt Disney, and Sony, they have um, incredible value of their brand names, and that is what trademark law protects. Then you've got patents, and in South Africa, patents are um, protected under the the South African Patents Act, 57 of 1978. 
and patents allows you to protect an invention. And then we've got design, and the, the Design Act um, 195 of 1993 distinguishes between two types of design. You have an aesthetic design, um, for example, Ferrari or Amani, um, and a functional design, which would be the design of, um, example, the shape of a generator. And so design can also be, um, you know, textile designs that's used in craft, that kind of protection can kick in there. It's also important to understand that um, articles can be, you know, if they, each field of intellectual property has its own requirements. So articles can actually be protected under each one if they fulfill the particular requirements of each one. And then, of course, we've got... Copyright. I'm going to stop you there, Onati, because I want Mr. Dalro to deal with the copyright stuff. I mean, your explanations have been practical and, and extremely useful, so thank you for sharing that with us. Alroy, I would love for you to explain copyright, but in the process of just walking me through an idea. I've read a book, and I want to actually basically adapt it for theatre. Talk me through that and show me how do I actually ensure that I do not infringe the copyright legislation with that project. Sure. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Anati, for that as well. You've given a really good overview of the various aspects of intellectual property in a very cogent way. I think when I talk to artists and authors, I think that the idea of intellectual property is sometimes a difficult concept to wrap their heads around unless you understand the separation of properties. So on the one side, you've got the physical property, and on the other side, you've got the intellectual property, and both are properties within a particular thing. So, for example, I purchase, I'm going to get to, you, to your, your scenario now, but for example, if I get to, to a point where I purchase a Blessing Gobeni artistic work and I hang that in my, in my dining room, that gives me the ownership of the physical property. It does not necessarily give me the, physic, the ownership of the intellectual property. So, as much as that piece of artwork is hanging in my dining room, I can't take a photograph of that artwork and publish it in a book. I only own the physical artwork. I do not own the intellectual property um, unless the, 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 the intellectual property has been ceded to me by the rightful rights holder, which generally would be the artistic, uh, which would be the, would be the artist. Um, generally, the artist would retain intellectual property unless it's, there, there are different exemptions within copyright law around commissions, around employment, etc. And we can get into those, but it does become quite... Um, Detailed. Um, around your particular idea around um, um, adapting a work into a dramatic text, for example. So if I have a novel in front of me, the first thing you have to do before you do anything is actually ask for the permission to adapt that work from the rights holder, which is called, that adaptation right is an enabling right, so it enables you to actually um, to, to do the work of translating the work or adapting it for screen or adapting it for film, uh, I mean, or, or, or for, or for theatre. So that's the first step that would need to be taken. You'd need to approach the, right, the rights holder. That would be the, uh, the author or the publisher who has a controlling stake in the work or any of those, um, any of those parties. And then from there, you would then need to get it in written, in written um, form 
granting you that permission. And that permission might come with a cost, it might not. Um, it depends on what the format is and what the negotiation has come out to be. Form rights, you'll generally have an option agreement which will give then, um, ring fence that work for your production company and then allow uh, you to develop the funding and, and, and do the, the, the pre-production work before then paying a form rights fee once you start um, actually enacting that from right. So there are different uh, sort of processes depending on which format you're looking at. But then once you've got that, that written permission granting you that adaptation right, the author would then be allowed to adapt it and then a new work would then be created, which would, depending on the negotiation and depending on the format, would allow the adapter a part ownership in the new work. So you would then create a new format of that original work. The original owner of the original work would have a majority share in that adaptation, but the adapter would also have a percentage share of that. So you would, in essence, be creating a new uh, work, would, which in terms of the length of time that Unati was describing, would be uh, based off of the, 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 the lifespan of the last person to pass away who has created that. Fantastic. Thank you for that. I mean, you, you, you raised a couple of points about negotiations. Mm. And you often find that artists do not feel empowered enough to be able to negotiate by themselves. And that's why you, we find them in positions where uh, instead of negotiating for their benefit, they negotiate against them. And I've had a couple experiences when I was actually busy um, a few years ago when we, con when we um, launched a concept called Fundiso, which was intended to fund tertiary education. And we used the gospel singer, uh, Rebecca Malepo, as our ambassador. She was illiterate, and she was exploited because she could not read a contract. And her monies that was intended to go for her didn't end up with her. From a Dalro perspective, do you guys negotiate on behalf of your creative? Well, yes. Um, in our role within Dalro, we offer a lot of advisory services as well as representing our um, rights holders in various negotiations and contract um, processes. So, I mean, in your question, you raised a number of things around authors not necessarily feeling their weight within a negotiation room. And at the end of the day, this is very important that you're in there because you have something someone else wants. You have negotiating power, so use that power. You have an artistic um, asset that is now being trying, that someone is scouting some sort of exploitation of that asset. So never think that you don't have power in the room because you wouldn't be there if you didn't. So at the end of the day, you, you should definitely read every single contract that is put in front of you and understand it fully. And if you don't, seek assistance from someone who can actually advise you accordingly before you sign anything. And no one should be putting you under duress to sign something in the room immediately. That is not good practice in any sense. Anyone should always give you the opportunity to review it at your time and seek advice or consult um, um, or, or counsel um, as and when necessary. So, yeah? I said beautifully stated. Thank you for that. Because sure. it does give one the reassurance. Don't be pressurized. Yes. You have a lot to give. Consider the value and seek counsel if necessary. So let us go to Madam Monati. Seek counsel. You mm -hmm. often talk about negotiating hard. Talk a bit about that, please, Anati. Yes, I think um, Alroy has um, set it out quite nicely. And I always coming from a point where you at least understand the basics, um, understand the business that you're in, understand what pertains to the product 
or activity that you're doing. If you don't, as um, our advised, get um, an advisor who can assist you. I find often um, people don't want to negotiate. Um, they don't want to touch the touchy subjects, the hard, uh, they don't want to ask the hard questions. That's what we are there for. Sometimes a client doesn't even know what to ask, and that's what we are there for as well. Aro said, you know, if you step into a room, know you have the power because you're there. And I find that there's a lot of fear around intellectual property, around um, holding on to your rights. You can't warehouse your rights. Your rights have to work for you. You have to monetize them. You, you can't hold on to them forever. They've got to work for you. No, so thank you for that, um, Unati. Uh, I'm just going to throw this out to both of you. Are there possibly any pro bono services that creatives could actually uh, draw from if they need it? I know uh, Dalro is a member service, right? So, yes. So Dalro is a, a rights holder-based service. So we, we definitely sign on rights holders generally, but we have an open sort of environment where people can call in, query something, or email us. Um, our email address is dalro at dalro.co.za. That is D-A-L-R-O. Um, ultimately, we, we try and spread the information as widely as possible Fantastic. so that the, the industry as a whole is more compliant and when the industry as a whole is more compliant, there is more ro licensing revenue and royalties for all the artists and authors. So generally, we would always advise to to get some representation. We generally have non-exclusive um, rights holder mandates where we can represent you and you don't feel have to feel obligated to only work with us. A lot of leeway in the way that we deal with our rights holders, um, but we do believe that if you have any questions, whether you're a rights user or a rights holder, so reach out to an organization, whether that be Dalro, or I'm not sure if the CIPC handles any sort of advisory components, but uh, generally it's very I can answer that question, yeah. no. Okay, <laughs> but we are there. So we, we definitely cover anything from author, author rights, for publishing, for visual arts, uh, and then there's also Samro for, for music and Capasso for music as well. Oh, that's fantastic. So. Thank you for sharing, and sure. thank you for helping the creatives in that way. A few law firms do, I mean, lawyers have to do a certain amount of pro bono work every year. Um, the trouble really or the challenge with this particular field is that you have to find the specialized lawyers and you have to ask those who already actually know the field of IP. Um, secondly, I, you know, in as much as I don't mind um, providing services pro bono, I also try and we need to professionalize artists. And as much as a musician doesn't like to be told that come and play in my restaurant for exposure, um, artists also need to get to a point where they respect other people and actually pay them for their work and their services. I agree with you, um, Onati, but I also feel in light of where we are at the moment, we need to be able to support creatives a bit more. And if there are some free resources, I would love to be able to mm -hmm. share it out and put it out there to help them monetize their craft and then as soon as they start making money, they just pay it forward. So thank you, Anati, for that. Um, exploitation has been an issue for the longest of times. I mean, we know great names that have been exploited. Um, walk us through possible examples here that you're aware of and how best we avoid that. What should creatives... I'm going to go to Anati and then I'm going to come to Elroy. Anati, can you just like talk us through that, please? 
All right. So we've all read articles in the paper about how our musicians or our actors die in poverty. Um, a lot of it has to do, exploitation really happens because of a lack of knowledge, I think. Um, especially in the past, people just didn't understand what, how the business model works. So a musician would make a deal with the record company. The record company takes all the risks. The record company provides the whole budget. The record company gives them an advance. Um, the musician um, gets the advance but doesn't really understand that it's a loan. Um, it needs to be paid back from their revenue. So you need to understand the business model that you're in and um, you get the help that you need. So if you need somebody sitting there negotiating on your behalf, then get that person. That's fantastic. Thank you for that insight, Sonati. Um, so what I'm hearing is that we need to be able to take out more knowledge out there so people understand um, where they're negotiating from and what they need, how best they need to move forward. We've been through a COVID phase, right? And it has been a big challenge, especially for the creative space. And most things have actually pivoted online. What do you see as the biggest challenge for artists and how do we find solutions? So what I'm looking for, is there platforms? Is there resources that people could upload their information? What should they be aware of? Um, Anati, I'd like for you to talk us through it, and then I would love to hear Aldroy's views on it. All right. So I do think there are opportunities in the sense that, you know, as an artist, you have direct um, access to your own platform where you can, um, you know, market your work, you can sell your work, and you basically don't need any intermediaries as you have in the past. You're not relying on a record label or a distributor to do that for you. You can do it directly. In terms of monetizing, again, you need to find a financial model that is going to work for the particular work. So if it's an online festival, it's something different to you selling crafts or visual arts online. You also, um, people forget, they think just because they're online, then um, that's all. But you actually have to drive people there. I won't know your website or know where you're selling, um, your e-commerce platform, wherever you're selling, if you're not driving me there. And I think a lot of the time in the digital world, that is the missing link. People think, you know, they forget that step that I need to know where to go um, and you've actually got to drive people there. Thank you, Anati. Aldro, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, Anati raises very good points. You need to know how to get to a particular um, to a particular platform or or product. Um, it's because the internet is a very big and vast space at the end of the day. But uh, what I'd like to also mention is that uh, we we have a situation where a, a lot where a lot of people also using various platforms to advertise their work, like Instagram and Facebook. And I'm not saying don't use those platforms, but just understand these platforms. Understand the terms and conditions that are uh, around the use of these platforms and how you are, who owns necessarily the metadata of the of your image when you po when you post it onto a particular platform and how it is allowed to be used. I mean, I'm not saying don't or, or do use it, but understand how you're using these platforms to your benefit. Mm -hmm. Also, at the end of the day, when we're talking about 
protecting ourselves as artists around negotiations and, and not necessarily protecting the IP. Also be aware, and also the resources available to us. Also understand the power of a non-disclosure agreement when you're pitching. So a lot of the time I'm encountering situations where screenwriters are complaining that particular broadcasters have now presented work that they had presented to them in a meeting. And that is a story we hear a number of times. The last time I checked, the BASA resources page on their website actually has a non-disclosure agreement that was written by Adams and Adams. And that's available for use. So consider that when you're pitching to a particular broadcaster or a large corporation, um, um, just so that you have some level of protection around your idea before you have the opportunity to develop it further. Oh, Can I add something there? Oh, absolutely. Thanks, Anati. <laughs> Thank you. Aroy, that's a very good point. Um, I think, you know, often broadcasters won't sign the NDAs. And I would say, um, you know, the thing about protecting your work is always have your work in detail, in great, great detail. So, for example, if you're presenting a concept about a TV show, actually have, um, be clear in your mind what the stage looks like, what the format is, what the, what the tagline is, etc. And when you go for a pitch, and I know this is difficult, present the bare minimum that you have to because um, the devil is in the detail. So, if a broadcaster then takes your idea they will not be able to interpret it in the manner in which you have interpreted it, and that is also more protection. One more point on the internet, um, just to, you know, remember we spoke about the duration of, of copyright and when it expires, the work goes into the public domain. And often because things are publicly available on the internet, people take that to be the public domain. But the public domain here means the expiry of the copyright. So just because something is on the internet, it doesn't mean that it actually is in the public domain. You may still have to um, get the rights in order to use it or license it, etc. You guys make some fascinating uh, comments. I'm really grateful for this. I think Alroy has... Yeah, to add to it? I just want to add to that point around um, uh, limiting what you're sharing. I mean, the same is true for the publishing industry. If you've got a book that you've written and you want to actually um, canvas to have it published, don't share the whole book or the manuscript with the publisher. Share a synopsis and no more than the first chapter. And if they're interested, they'll reach out and then develop a contract with you. But don't share more than that. Um, because your work is, you need to protect it. I mean, it's the same thing with, with when you're dealing with trademarks. You don't talk about the trademark until the trademark's been awarded to you um, because you need to protect, there needs to be a level of secrecy around the, the value of this idea. Absolutely. What you often find is but, artists are so excited about their craft. They want to tell everybody with the hope that they will buy into it. Yeah. What I tend to do is I have two email addresses. So I send my document to another email address as proof that it is my work, and, and it's something that people need to start doing before you release it to the world, so you can actually utilize that as proof. We have, ah, it's almost come to the end of the session. I need to actually ask you guys to, like, land your closing points. Aro, what is it that you want to leave our listeners with? Because this has been useful, but just two things that they should not budge in any form or manner, or whatever you choose to, rather. Ultimately, I think, at the end of the day, if you're not sure, don't sign. Don't agree to anything if you have not understood the terms. And if you, and you have, if you have not understood the terms, try and find 
advice. Try and find somebody that, that can assist you um, to understand what the provisions are around this agreement. And never undervalue your worth. I mean, never undervalue the... the, the at the end of the day, you're creating a, a creative asset. And you need to see it as an asset with value that has a financial reward to it. Okay, I need to ask you guys one more question before I go to Bonati. Are you familiar with F&Ts? Yeah. Well, yes, I am familiar with F&Ts as a concept. I have never purchased one. Okay. I don't understand how to purchase one. but <laughs> I believe I was introduced to, to yeah. it by my creative son, and I believe it has value and potential to make loads of money. It's something we need to unpack at a later stage. Unati, are you familiar with it, and do you want to like, land a point on that or two? No, I'm not familiar with okay, that cool. at all. <laughs> There's clearly work for us to do at Barca, but we'll get to that. Your yes. your land, your closing points, please, Unati. My closing point is knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Knowledge is empowering. Learn the business that you're in. Make the rights work for you. Don't hold on to them for fear of losing them. They are there to, you know, to incentivize you. To You must earn from them. Um, and remember that there's a concept in copyright law that separates the copyright owner from the author. So when you are a creator... You are the author, and if you happen to pass those rights on, then the new person is the copyright owner, but you will always be the author, and there are also rights that attach to you as the author. So um, not all is lost. Fantastic, guys. I am so grateful for your time and your energy and the insights you landed. There's clearly a little bit more work we need to do, but I'm sure you've landed enough for our creatives to think about, understand how valuable they are and how they need to negotiate, and knowledge in the circumstances is truly power to move forward in a productive, successful way. Okay, this has come to the end. Thank you so much. Our next, Thank you. Thank you, guys. Our next uh, podcast, we unpack the role of the creative marketers, Bearing in mind that these roles are not always separate, we explore what makes a truly successful, mutually beneficial partnership, how to establish Congress assembly within defined, distinct identities, and of course, personalities, what are the methods, both maverick and established, in building such a collaboration. We'll see you in a month. Thank you, guys. Stay safe. And this is a wrap.